Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Julie Jaffray. I'm from Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I'm going to present to you a case study. So you've got a 12-year-old female. She has newly diagnosed acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and she's hospitalized for induction chemotherapy. You insert a peripherally inserted central catheter, or PIC, for chemotherapy in her right upper extremity. On the third day of her hospitalization, she ends up developing swelling and pain around her PIC. You order an ultrasound, and it reveals an occlusive thrombosis in her right upper extremity where her PIC is. So the question that you should ask yourself is, well, how do we treat this young girl? How do we treat her acutely while she's in the hospital and then upon discharge? Well, the CHESS guidelines back in 2012 had recommended that we manage VTE for children with cancer just like other children without cancer. They suggested that we use low molecular weight heparin, and we do it for a minimum of three months until the precipitating factor has resolved, such as the use of asparaginase. I will tell you, things are changing in the world of pediatric thrombosis, so it's certainly an exciting time. New medications, new lengths of treatment recommendations, but I digress. So what are your standard treatment choices? Well, you've got unfractionated heparin. You've got low molecular weight heparin, your vitamin K antagonists like warfarin, and your direct thrombin inhibitors like argatraban and bivalirudin. If you're on unfractionated heparin, you certainly need to stay in the hospital. You need some sort of venous access because it has a short half-life and so needs to run continuously, which is great if you are at risk for bleeding. There is a reversal agent, protamine, but unfortunately it's very dependent on your antithrombin levels, which are pretty low in neonates normally. And there's a lot of increased binding to non-heparin proteins in patients who are less than a year of age. And then you do have a risk of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT. Low molecular weight heparin is less dependent on antithrombin. You can have it outpatient because you just need to do a subcutaneous injection, but unfortunately that's twice a day, and you need to have some drug monitoring. Vitamin K antagonists, we generally don't use those very often in patients with cancer. There's a lot of drug and food interactions, and in little babies, it's difficult because you have milk-based formula that has high levels of vitamin K, which then you can't use the drug very well, and you do need drug monitoring. Direct thrombin inhibitors, also not a group of medications we use often in children with cancer. Again, short half-life, you need IV access, and they can be pretty difficult to titrate if you're not used to using them. So what's new on the horizon are the direct oral anticoagulants, or DOACs. You have your direct 10A inhibitors like rivaroxaban, apixaban, and adoxaban. Rivaroxaban was recently just approved in children for the treatment of VTE as well as prophylaxis after a Fontan. Dibigatran is the only direct thrombin inhibitor that's oral, and it was also recently approved in children for VTE treatment age three months of age and older. 
So there were patients with cancer on both of the DOAC phase three pediatric trials. So in the River Rock Savannah trial, they had 335 patients on the phase three trial and 40 of them had cancer. There was a low VTE recurrence rate in these children of 1%, and they did have a 3% rate of major and clinically relevant non-major bleeding. On the Dabigatran trial, they had 33 subjects with cancer out of 203, with a 1% VTE recurrence rate and a 2.5% major and clinically relevant non-major bleeding. So very similar numbers between those two study drugs. So what did we do with our young lady? Well, we ended up initiating her on low molecular weight heparin, anoxaparin, just because the providers at the hospital had more experience using them. The DOACs are new and they're just comfort. And they were able to monitor anti-10A levels, which they felt a little more comfortable doing in a patient with fluctuating platelet counts. To transition her home, the things you need to think about is teaching the family how to give subcutaneous injections, insurance approvals such as using multi-dose vials versus compounded syringes where they usually get a delivery once a week. You need to arrange for follow-up to monitor bleeding, anti-10A levels, and then we usually repeat an ultrasound at about six weeks uh, to determine duration of therapy if we can stop there if we need to go longer. So what about removing the pick? So this is a really big question, and I want you to go through this algorithm that's just been published. First, you want to ask yourself, is the catheter functional? And do you continue to need the catheter? Are you done needing central venous access? If you don't need the catheter, that's fine to remove it, but they also recommended that if you do remove the catheter, you should anticoagulate for at least a few days because there was a theoretical risk of embolization. Now, there's been two recent studies that have looked at that risk of embolization and have found it to be incredibly low. One was in adult patients with cancer. They compared embolic rates between subjects who received less than 48 hours versus more than 48 hours of anticoagulation. There was no significant difference in rates of PE or embolization between the two groups. Similar findings were done in a pediatric study where they compared rates between less than 48 hours and over 48 hours of anticoagulation. Again, no significant difference in the rates, and each of these studies had over 600 patients in them. So let's do a summary of this presentation. So what is the relevance to your clinical practice? Well, Children with newly diagnosed leukemia, especially those with a PIC, are at high risk of developing a venous thrombosis. Now, anticoagulation choices have been very limited in this population, but the treatment options are changing with the emergence of the DOACs. Thank you for your attention. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.